0: This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, Amen. Best shout ever. I want to talk to you this morning on something that I have been pondering over, well, many, many years, but specifically over the last year and a half while we've been away. Praying about coming home and what kind of church does God want us to be? And where are we going to go in the future? And what does that look like together? Some of it came out of frustration Uh, frustration of asking the hard question, is the way we do church today the way God intended us to do it? Is how we pull it off in modern day America in the South, the Bible Belt, is that the way God intended us to do it? As I see where church is heading and since I lead a church, I often ask myself, am I doing what God wants me to do? Would I please Him with what's to be done? And I've, I've read articles, positive and negative. I've read people who are against local church, that it's nothing more than a concert. It's nothing more than a show. It's nothing more than theater. And I've read people who are all for it. Whatever you have to do, do whatever you have to do to reach people. Uh, no matter what it takes, reach as many people as you can reach. But it does make me as a dad for my daughters, as a husband, as a leader of this house it does make me kind of ask the hard questions. Am I personally doing what the Father wants me to do? Am I doing, if I stand before Him, will He say, you did a good job, son? Or am I just running away that I think is the right way, but it might not be His way? So I've spent a long time, I'm actually like feeling like I'm going to just explode like on the inside because I've been thinking about this for so long. Where are we at as a church? I feel So what I'm going to share with you over the next, I don't know how long, but I felt like the Lord spoke to me several, several months back and said, I want you to go in the book of Acts, and I want you to study the book of Acts to the point where the history of the book of Acts comes to land on the corner of Pope and Bomar. And I did this little phrase called, history comes home. A 2,000-year-old idea by Jesus Christ that would come to land on this corner And we would see the life of Jesus Christ happen. Now here's what I know about a 2,000-year-old church. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have lights. They didn't have sound equipment. They didn't have teams. They basically were out in the streets preaching the gospel and forming what we know today to be church. I think some of that we've messed up. We've turned it more into titles, and we've turned it more into hierarchies, and we've turned it into corporations, and we've turned it into business models, and we kind of lose what God intended it to be from the original But I don't believe to see what God did means we have to go back and ride camels and cut air conditioning off and sing in an old sawdust floor and not use modern technology. What I do believe, though, is that God intended for a power to happen in His people that if we're not careful, we trade power for production, we trade testimony for titles, and we begin to just do theatrics and have a theater where people come and just sit and veg while our best performers are on stage performing And we kind of lend ourselves to being more of a theatrical thing than a real testimony of God's power. Where 20% of the people do most of the work, while 80% of the people just watch and wish maybe I could or maybe I wish I could. But I don't think I'm spiritual enough. I'm not godly enough. I don't weigh the right. I don't sing right. I don't preach right. And so therefore the stage becomes this... uh, this place of, that that's almost has a mystique built around it. And yet we don't understand that from the get-go, God intended that everybody in this room would have the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead. That God would use this same power in you that He uses in me. And that God wants us to accomplish something beyond our wildest imaginations. But we end up believing a lie. We end up letting other people do it for us. We end up putting all the pressure on other people to make it happen and to do it. Because I've found it's easier to whine about it not being done than to take a step and do it yourself. It's easier to say... I can't believe they're doing that with babies and abortion and type about it and post about it much more so than it is to put your step of your foot in the middle of it and go get involved to do something. It's easier to post about what politics does and what politicians do than it is to put your foot in it and go run for politics yourself. I've found as a Christian it's just really easy today to whine and complain about the condition of the world and the condition of souls and the condition of same-sex problems and issues and transgender issues and all the issues and isms that we have. It's just easier to talk about how terrible it is than for me to get up out of my bed, put my shoes on, go out in the street and begin to talk to people about the freedom found in Jesus Christ. It's just easier It's just easier to whine. It's easier to blame people. It's easier to put the responsibility on other people and me just to sit here and go, well, I wish we would do this, hit, send, post. But I really don't wish that because if I really wished it, I would be doing it rather than posting it. I would be out there doing If I really cared that much about sick people, I would go out into the street and pray for sick people. If I really cared about whoever it was, I would go out and do something. So... What I'm going to share with you is not to get on to anybody. It's just to look at ourselves and answer, Am I doing what Jesus wants me to do? I'm not mad at anybody, but I am asking the question for myself, Am I doing what Jesus wants me to do? Or or am I just sucked into some religious thing that we call church? That's really not what He intended for us to do. I find a hard thing to believe That one hour on a Sunday morning... With Smoke Machine's light, some of the most incredible music ever, with some of the most incredible teaching ever, with the most incredible technology ever, we have arrived at the pinnacle of being able to mass produce the gospel in many ways through music, through video, through through all kind of things. And you would ask yourself, if, if we can accomplish that, then why are we still as broken? Why are we still as hurt? Why are marriages still failing? Why are there still addictions? Why are there still all kind of brokenness in hearts? you heard what Justin said at communion the brokenness the hurt the addictions the lust the shame all the stuff that's with me but I'm going I'm participating I'm part of church but my life is no different things aren't changing but it sure is easy to feel religious because I checked the box off I did what was required of me I served in the nursery I worked with the kids I gave my offering check I came and sat on the roll and said amen check I dressed the part check but my life is hell And we're checking all the boxes. And so my question is, if I'm checking all the religious boxes, feeling good about my religious self, easing myself of the guilt, then it makes me ask the question, then why isn't my life radically different? And it might be because the boxes we're checking are much more of Americanized Christianity boxes than boxes we find in the Bible of what God wants me doing. Because I find when you check the box of Jesus, man, you find freedom. Things start dropping off of your life. That's why there are church splits. That's why there's people angry today. That's why there are people quitting on church, giving up on church, giving up on Christians. Because finally you come to a place where you realize the theatrics of what we call church might not really be church. And people might be getting tired of being entertained. And then therefore we ask the bigger question, is this what it's all about? So that's what I've been pondering for a year and a half. And, and I've really been trying to ponder it for me, not you, like for me. Is this what I want to spend my life doing? And the end result of digging is yes. I so believe in it. I so believe in the local church. I so believe in the plan that God instituted 2,000 years ago that I'm passionate to fight for it, passionate to believe in it, and passionate to live it. And so in my thinking, I felt Jesus just drop in my heart. I want you to go to the book of Acts, and I want you to study the book of Acts with your church. And so I said, okay, God, how long? There's 28 chapters, so that's at least 28 weeks. And I heard the Zords say, I just want you to do it until they get it. So that could be two years for all I know. Here's what I will promise you. I will promise you, try not to make it boring. I will promise every week to try to give you something to take home and be different than who you are. And I promise you when it's over that the power of God's Holy Spirit will be resident on the inside of you and you will see miracles, signs, and wonders. And God will be using you in a very unique and different way. And it won't just be wishing you could get in a pulpit or wishing you will be literally not wishing, you will be walking in the very power of God that's what I believe for all of us so the book of Acts starts with the birth of the local church Jesus just got resurrected but here's what's interesting the guy that wrote the book of Acts did not even know Jesus he bumped into Jesus via people who knew Jesus the person that wrote the book of Acts was Luke. Luke has a gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and Luke wrote the book of Acts. The beauty of the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke is Luke never met Jesus. Jesus. But he wrote one of the most powerful gospels about Jesus because he bumped into people who knew Jesus and they knew him so well and they were so in tune with him that Luke, who was said to be a doctor, became so intrigued with this Jesus who was resurrected that he began to do this huge in-depth study of trying to determine, is it really true? Did this dude named Jesus really live? Everybody that's talking about him. And so the gospel of Luke is Luke's summation that it is true. I talked to eyewitnesses. I talked to people who saw him, who knew him, who walked with him. I talked with people who knew him intimately. And the end result is I wrote a book called the gospel of Luke because I wanted to convince people that the historical Jesus is real. So turn to Luke chapter 1 and just listen to the first few verses. It's pretty brilliant. Luke chapter 1, many people, verse 1, have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an account, an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything we were taught. Leave that verse four up there. The reason he wrote the book of Luke was so you could be certain that this Jesus person is not fake. He said, I bumped into people who were eyewitnesses, I interviewed them, I interrogated them. The end result is it is real. And I wrote this book, and he wrote it to a guy named Theophilus. I wrote it for you so you could be absolutely certain that everything we're teaching you is not fake. So one thing we can deduce from the Gospel of Luke, not the others per se, but at least Luke today, if you start reading the book of Luke, everything you read is an absolute certainty of truth. He was born of a virgin He died, he was God in the flesh, he died, he rose again, and he's in heaven for you. Every story is true. It's not made up. Everything the gospel of Luke tells you is 100% certainty under his own estimation, talking to people who were there, talking to people who saw it, and in a court of law, this would hold up because it was the most accurate perception of what had really happened from a guy who never met him but was 1,000% convinced it must be true because I interviewed and talked to people to make sure it wasn't fake. And I think there's something today in people, they're looking for the authentic, real thing of Jesus. And yet we keep offering them the fake of the Jesus. We tell them, oh, if you'll just serve God, everything will be rosy. If you'll just come to God, your whole life will work out. But they don't understand it's not about a moment with Jesus. It's about a journey, a lifetime with Jesus. Meaning you may serve Jesus and there's still some rough days. You may serve Jesus and still have to fight through some sickness. You may serve Jesus and still get your feelings hurt and still pout. But if you'll stay in it, it'll prove itself real and God will not be some fake thing. Maybe the reason today people don't really dive into Christianity is because they say words like, Oh, it's too hypocritical. There's too many hypocrites. It's too much hypocrisy. They don't really live it. Maybe they're really speaking speaking truth maybe they really look and go well you're no different than me you say this but i don't see your marriage is any different you're still hooked you're still addicted you're still angry you're still bitter you and your wife still fight all the time you slam doors you drop elf bombs and what i've come to believe this is just me you don't have to believe it but this is what i've come to believe i think today among a lot of people who call themselves believers what they believe is the gospel of Luke about a historical Jesus. They believe it. Jesus was there. Jesus lived. And I believe Jesus was who he said he was. And I believe because I don't want to go to hell. And what they believe in is the historical Jesus that Luke wrote about in Luke. I believe he lived, I believe he died, I believe there's Easter, I believe there's a resurrection, and I believe he's in heaven, and I believe he's coming back to get us one day. I believe all the stories of the book of Luke. I mentally believe in Jesus, I mentally agree, I mentally have said he is Lord. I've done all the religious things, but I'm still broken, I'm still depressed, I'm still hurting. And I think i come to a, a conclusion I think maybe the problem is is we believe in a historical Jesus that lived a long time ago but we have no relationship with a resurrected Jesus who's here now. Like I believe those stories and I know they're true and I read the Gospel of Luke but I have no relationship with a resurrected Jesus. I have knowledge of a historical one, but not a relationship with a resurrected one. I know the parables, but I don't know the person. And so this guy named Luke that says, everything I wrote down, you can be certain about. Acts chapter 1. This is where it gets really fun. Acts chapter 1 now. And listen to how interesting this is about to get. Verse 1. Same guy, Luke. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Here's my question. Why did Luke need to write a second book? Why not stop with one? You've covered the life of Jesus, you've covered the birth of Jesus, you've covered the history of Jesus, you've covered all the stories of Jesus. You've covered the parables of Jesus. You've covered the miracles of Jesus. You've covered the resurrection of Jesus. Why book two? Why not just stop there and go, that's all you need to know. You just need to know about Jesus. You just need to know his stories. You just need to read his red words. And if you read his red words and know his stories, everything is good. Why doesn't Luke stop there? Because Luke knows that that's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel was not to just write down a historical account of Jesus. The point of the gospel was to write a second book and say that not only was he a historical Jesus that was doing signs and wonders, he's an alive Jesus that wants to live in you and continue the signs and wonders. He wants to continue his work. He wants to continue his kingdom. Why? Through you. So the book of Acts is one of the only epistles that doesn't end in amen, meaning it's still going today. Luke said there was a need for a second book. And the need for the second book is to take you past the historical Jesus that walked on the planet and bring you into a relationship with the resurrected Jesus that's still walking the planet today, but through your feet. He's still talking today, but through your voice. He's still healing today, but through your hands. And the lie is, no, it's done. The gifts are done. The power's done. We should just be content to talk about the dude that was a Jew that claimed to be God that lived 2,000 years ago. And we should just sit here and talk about all his cute little sermons and then try to get you to apply those cute sermons to your life to change your life when the whole reason for a second book from a guy that never met him was because he understood that the purpose of the gospel wasn't to end at the resurrection. It was to infuse you with resurrection. The story doesn't stop at the resurrection. The story goes into book two to infuse you with resurrection power. So that you become Christ to the world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus using you, healing in you, power in you, glory in you. So if that is true, if it started that way, it started with believers out in the street just telling people about the power of God, demons coming out of people, healings happening, handkerchiefs with a miracle on them, shadows touching people. If that is true, what do you think the devil wants to do? Let's get all the believers in a building away from all the bad people, away from all the sinners, away from the gays and the lesbians and the racism and the hatred and the homeless, and let's get them all in a building listening to the same kind of music that they like, and let's get different colors of people to make them feel better about themselves that they're really doing something. And let's get them to sing some songs for 45 minutes on a Sunday and then listen to about a 30-minute message and then go back out into the hell of the world and they're dysfunctional and falling apart and they don't get along and they're divorcing and they're angry and there's hatred and there's racism and there's bitterness and, oh, let's all come back to church the next week and get charged up again because that's what religious people do. That was the plan of the devil, to huddle us all in a building, to call ourselves the local church and then do nothing but pay some man to tell me what to do every week and call him my leader and call him my shepherd. What I really mean is he's not my shepherd, he's doing all my work for me. And so I'm paying him to do my work. I'm paying him to go to the hospitals, paying him to pray for me, paying him to start programs, paying him to do all the work, because I don't want to do it. I want him to do it, and if he doesn't, I'll complain. I want him to do everything, because that is the gospel. The gospel according to Satan is, pay one man to stand in a pulpit and do it all where you don't have to do a thing, and then guilt trip everybody else into doing it so they don't do it because of power. They do it because of guilt. And guilt trip everybody into giving offerings. And guilt trip everybody into coming to church. Because if you don't come, I look down my nose at you. If you don't come, you're a substandard human. If you don't give money, you're a substandard Christian. It's what the devil has done to all of us. We're huddled up on a Sunday morning all over the world. And then when we walk out the door, we go right back to the garbage that we've lived in. Not believing that I carry within me Christ, the hope of glory. I carry within me the power of the Lord God Almighty. I don't need you to organize, God. Just turn me loose and let me go. Just let me go do what I'm called to do. But see, we've got it to a place now where, I mean, we're even trying to do it to help you. We organize groups. That's wonderful. We help you plug in. We want you to be part of community. That's a good thing. But see, if we're not careful, I begin to expect everybody else, well, I'll let you run the group I might visit. I'll let you lead. I'm not qualified to lead. Let me tell you something right now. Everybody in this building is qualified to do the work of God. You might not be qualified to stand and do what I'm doing, but you're qualified to do what you're called to do. I just talked to Steve, who is a friend of mine, is an environment. He's qualified to do what God has called him to do. And so he's out there in the world, in the fire world, doing the fire thing, but he's qualified by God to do what he does to be a missionary. Katie goes to work every single day. She's qualified by God to do what she's been planted by God to do there. She's the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the salt of the earth. But the devil will beat the literal tar out of you. You're not holy enough. You're not godly enough. You're not smart enough. You don't know enough about the Bible. So just shut up. Yeah, you're right. I'll just let somebody else do it because I'm just not qualified. Listen, do you believe in Jesus? Does His Spirit live in you? You're qualified. You're qualified. If you say you're not qualified, then you're telling me the very Holy Spirit that lives within you is not good enough to touch the very world where you live. Chris, the God in you is big enough. We've just been duped. Lucifer has duped us. He has turned the greatest thing in the world, the local church, into a theater. Go to the theater that's playing the best movie. Go to the theater that has the best music. Go to the theater that has the hippest people and let me just sit and watch. And then let me invite my friends to watch. Listen, church was never designed to be a theater. The reason we sing is to inspire us for God. The reason we preach is to line us up with the Holy Spirit. The reason we give is to remind us He's our source. The reason we do communion is to remind us it ain't about me at all. And then we come together in a group for one reason, to hear what the Spirit is saying. Why? So we can go out and do it. You say, well, why do we gather? To hear what the Spirit wants to say to this group so this group can unify and go do what the Lord is telling us to do. That's why. So in my life, I grew up that way. So part of what I'm telling you is how I grew up. My mother started years ago. She started a Bible study in our home. There was no organization to it. The church didn't organize it. It wasn't a group. We didn't do groups back then. It was not a small group. She had no training. She just felt the Lord say, open up your home and start teaching people the Bible. She said, I can't teach people the Bible. I don't even know the Bible myself. And then the Lord spoke to her and said, well, then listen to this guy's tape and just reteach his tape. So she started listening to tapes, just reteaching tapes. Five women showed up. Ten women showed up. Fifty women showed up and the average was a hundred women every week coming to my home on 105 Cleveland Court to listen to a woman talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. It got so big that my dad added on a room to the back of the house and set up a hundred chairs so that every single week women from every walk of life Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Catholic could come and learn about the power of the Holy Spirit and get filled with the Holy Spirit and people got healed and people got delivered and demons came out of people and I watched people get filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in a new language every single week not a denomination not a program just a woman that decided the spirit of God in me is big enough to go do what the Lord is telling me to do so I'll ask you something today are you waiting on somebody to organize your Christianity are you waiting on somebody to organize an outreach before you reach out Are you waiting on somebody to organize a prayer group before you just start praying? Are you waiting on somebody to go reach the homeless before you just go out and reach one? Are you waiting on somebody to do it so you can just sit back and go, well, I'm just going to wait until somebody does it and then I guess I might help. If it's so important to you, why don't you go do it? Why are you waiting on the local church to organize it? Maybe we will. Maybe we'll do it. But that's not my point today. My point today is, what if we've been waiting on people to organize it, and the whole time God's just waiting on you to do it? He's waiting on you to open your home, Katie, and on her own. Katie just decided, I'm just going to open my house and just start inviting friends over to come hear about Jesus. She now opens her home, and her friends come to hear about Jesus. No church organized that. Nobody called her and said, would you please open it? She just suddenly felt, I think I need to start telling my friends about Jesus. And now every single week, tears in her eyes right now, girls come over to her house to hear about God. Oh, not so they can come to believers. Not so we can go, we've got a group that's really successful. Just because a young girl realized I got something in me that other people need, so I'm just going to open my home. I want you to know this. I'm not against religion. I'm not against this thing called church. I'm just today trying to inspire you. What are you waiting on? The perfect church? The perfect group to belong to? A group that will go eat Mexican food every week? Is that the group you need? Just go do what you're passionate about. I'm passionate about discipleship. Good. Who are you discipling? Well, nobody. I'm waiting on you to do a group. I'm passionate about prayer. When was the last time you prayed? Well, at my last church, I got mad because they didn't pray on the day I wanted to. So you're not praying? I'm passionate about winning lost people. So how many of you won this week? I'm passionate about going in the hospitals and praying for sick people. So when was the last time you went to Tanner and prayed for people? You see, it's easy to sit in a church and look through all the things. Well, they don't have homeless. They don't go to the hospitals. They don't do. Maybe the reason we're not is you're supposed to go. And maybe we're not even supposed to organize it. You're just supposed to go do it. How novel is that? You don't even have to have my approval. I don't even have to go. I ordain you to go. You just go because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That's what this thing is about. I eat Mexican food not because people make me. I just like it. And people say, that's all you ever eat. And I go, because I like it. You want me to go eat tuna fish? I hate tuna fish. Nobody's begging me to eat Mexican, I just eat Mexican. Nobody's making me give, I just give. Because I've learned that this book of Acts was a second book that motivates me to to get in a relationship with Jesus and say to Jesus, "What do you want me to do right now? Not corporately, what do you want me to do individually?" Because if individually we're sick, then corporately we'll never do anything. What are you waiting on? Who are you blaming? Oh, Theophilus, I had to write a second book. Because the Spirit of God still works today. Girls, because He wants to use you in your high school and your middle schools. He wants to use you. He's begging to use you. He says, if you'll just yield yourself to me, oh, but it's risky. And I, I'm not, I mean, I know all the questions that are coming. Well, what do we do? I thought we needed. I thought you got to have an authority. I'm not even talking about any of that today. We'll get to all of that. I'm just talking about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you to do what God has called you to do. Well, I feel like the Lord wants me to go do music, but my church doesn't support me. Get over it. Go do music. Quit waiting on somebody to grab hold of your horse. Get on your own horse, saddle up, whip that thing and get busy about it. And if you get rejected, get up and keep going again. Somebody else rejects you, get up and keep going again. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect group of people. But I'll tell you what will change the world. A group of people who say, Lord, use me. If you can use anything, use me. Use me in my brokenness. Use me in my insecurities. Use me in my failure. Just use me, God. And he will. He will blow your mind. He wants to use you. It's religion that says you're not qualified. You're not ready. You're not smart enough. You don't know the Romans road to salvation. You're not godly enough. You're not this enough. But if you'll jump through all of these hoops for the next nine years and prove yourself faithful and become a tither, I might let you go do something. What? Get off your rocking horse. And do something for the Lord God Almighty. We'll work out all the details later. We'll work out your giving later. We'll work out your insecurities later. But you have to first say, Holy Spirit, use me. Even in your insecurity. Even in your immaturity. Let Him use you. And if you do, we'll change the world. I want to run a group. my church won't let me. Good. Maybe we don't know you well enough. Maybe we don't trust you. Just open your home anyway. Go do it. And if you fail, that's between you and the Lord. Go do it. Get busy with it. I think we should go into downtown Atlanta and begin to reach homeless people. Good. Crank your car up and call a few people and go. And begin to do it. Well, I feel like the Lord wants me to open my home and begin to teach people. But the pastor, no, 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 don't blame it on me. Open your home and just begin to tell people about Jesus. Well, what if I blow it? Take it up with God. Just go do it. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I'm not telling you to go rogue. I'm just telling you to go excited. God wants to use you. When you drive a bus for people, let him use you. Chris, when you're building buildings, just let him use you. Matt, when you're at work, just let him use you. Holy Spirit, if you can use anything, use me. Galatians 5. I want to end with this. I read this last night. Man, blew my mind. I read it, you know, I've read this a lot. But sometimes you read something and just, man, just blows your brains out with how awesome God is. Listen to Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16, so I say live by the Holy Spirit and let him guide your life and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants and the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation of the law of Moses. And when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone that lives this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. Now get ready. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified Him. Here it is. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. That there is the gospel of Jesus Christ since we're living by the spirit let us follow the spirit's leading in how much of life yes follow the spirit leading concerning how you treat your wife your husband how you talk how you think what you watch what you hear just follow his leading I'll end with this story it's very insignificant but it tells you what I mean I mean that God wants to have a relationship with you on every level of your life, not just now. On every level. I was programming all of the air conditioning units. I was going through programming them, and they all have a code, so you can't change them—a you know, a password code. And I was changing all of them, and I went to go change this one over here by the sound booth, and it kept saying code's not right. And I kept entering the code, not right. Entering the code, it's not right. I called a friend. I said, hey, these these newfangled thermostats we have, I can't get in. It's locking me out. I don't know the code. He said, well, I don't know how to do it. Let me send you the website and see if we can figure it out. It was too deep to do on my phone, so I called Chris. I said, hey, Chris, the guys that installed these, I can't get in to um, to the thermostat to set it. I said, do you know what the code is? He said, no, but the guys will be there next week, and they'll go in and reset everything. I said, okay, that's good. I hung up the phone. I'm walking this way. And I stopped and said, No, this is absolute. No. Holy Ghost, you say you know everything. I need you to download what that code is to that thing over there. I walked back over to the sound. It's the honest truth. Walt, I'll show you the text message I sent because I was blown away. I walked back over. I stood there and I said, Holy Spirit. You say you know everything. That means you know this code, so tell me what the code is. And I heard as clear as I'm talking to you, 1982, 1982 opened up. I have, I have no clue. I tried that with a lotto, it didn't work. Sir, can I help you? Hang on, I'm waiting. Sir, can I help you? Hang on, I'm God, I need these seven numbers now. Especially that quick pick mega million number. (laughs) So I don't know if it works with everything, right? But I do know this. I walked away thinking, man, the Holy Spirit wants to be part of all of my life. Not just my religious life. He wants to be involved in my frustrations. He wants to be involved in my imagination. He wants to be involved in my work, and my marriage, and my children. He wants to be involved all the time. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to use you. Stand up with me. Close your eyes. Look inward. What excuse are you making? Are you waiting on someone else to catch it? Are you waiting on someone else to organize your faith? Are you waiting on somebody else to start the ministry? Are you waiting on somebody else to affirm you? Are you waiting on the church to put you on the website so you become official? What are you waiting on? If you're passionate about evangelism, then what are you waiting on? If you're passionate about healing sick people, what are you waiting on? If you're passionate about homeless people, what are you waiting on? I I will tell you one thing I will do as a shepherd. I will get behind you. I will support you. I will bless you. And I will help you run as fast as you can run toward the Lord Jesus and Him using you. Because I know we're all human and nobody's perfect, honey. And I'm, I'm here to help you find the purposes of God in your life. So this morning it's about organically being used by God apart from organized religion. Will you be organically used by God apart from having it to be organized? Now I can almost promise you in this room, everybody here has felt a stirring towards something feeding people, helping people, reaching out to people, starting a home bible study, something. You have felt stirred for something, taking your neighbor some food, something. Maybe you've been waiting, maybe like Justin said, you just insecurities and fears that try to hold you back, but not anymore. So father today, in this house, If you can use anything, use me. If you can use anything, use me. No more excuses. No more wish I would have, should have, could have, somebody else's fault. Nobody esteems me. Nobody supports me. Nobody cares about my vision. No more. We lay that down and just say, Holy Spirit, use us right where we are. Listen to me very carefully. You're already called and appointed and anointed for your 50 feet. Go and rule your 50 feet for the kingdom of God and be bold with it and expect the Lord Jesus to come. Place your hand over your heart. I want to bless you this morning. Father, I ask you to just let this word sink deep down in our heart. I ask you to give us great favor this morning and I ask you to let us hold on and ask this question Why the need for a second book if the historical Jesus was enough? Lord Jesus, let us be the continuation of that second book. Of the healing, the miracles, and the resurrected Jesus. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message.